Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and it is Monday, May 24th, just ahead of the second rest day at the Giro d'Italia. So we're going to be walking through, talking through, well, the whole Giro thus far. We've got most of the usual crew with us here today, minus Abby Mickey, who, are we allowed to say what she's doing? I can't believe she prioritized, uh, prioritized that over this, though. Like, like the nerve of her. How, how, I'm a how little insulted. Do, how could she do that? You know, I'm a little insulted. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed is really what it is. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on to the rest of the episode. We've got James, as you just heard. Dane Cash, how are you, Dane? Yeah, doing good. How you doing? I am excellent. Ronan, how are you? I'm good. I'm here. I'm well, alive still. Excellent. Glad to hear that. And Shoddy Dave. Hello. How was France? Raining yet again. Been terrible spring. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. We've had a very wet spring, but we like that because it means that our entire state might not catch on fire as quickly this summer. And so, it is so gloriously green right now. It is really it's it's green as Colorado ever gets. Uh, it's been it's been quite lovely. Well, <clears throat> as I said. We're going to be chatting about the Giro thus far. We've got a lot to talk about, particularly from the last couple days, particularly actually from this morning. We're also going to talk about the first time stage winners at this Giro. There's a pretty some pretty fascinating stats around that. There's been a lot of new stage winners and a lot of first time Grand Tour riders winning stages. We'll talk about Egan Bernal, obviously. Uh, we're going to talk about Roman Bardet and how he has this Giro on lock, plus the battle for second. Damiano Caruso and Egan Bernal behind Roman Bardet. No, I'm just kidding. That's not. Nope. Before we get into any of that, though, Shadi Dave, what are we learning about Continental this week? Okay, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen gravel at the Giro and a whole bunch of handmade Australian drop bar bikes with big tires. That is if you've been keeping an eye on the website and checking out the Australian hand-built bike show. But if getting off the beaten path is your thing, then Continental can get you there. If you stick to the gravel-specific tyres, there's the Terra Trail and the Terra Speed tyres. I'm sure you'll all remember that we use them, or at least use the Terra Speed tyres at the gravel bike field test last year. If you ain't seen any of that, go and jump on YouTube, please. Both are available in 700C and 650B options, and the Terra Speed even come in a lovely tan wall, if that's a sort of thing that spins your wheels. If you're going for full mullet, you could even go down the route of using the Cross King for grip and the Speed on gnarly trails. You could run a 2.2 or even a 2.3 width tyre if uh, your wheels and your frame allow. Whichever Continental tires you choose, they use the legendary black chili compound to keep you on the road without big rolling resistance. So, when you're hitting the road, are we allowed to use that, Katie? Because I do know you legally own that word, don't you? Uh, it's just it's just a five cent. Yeah, we have, we, fee. we have to pay Kaylee every time you talk about it. Yeah, just it's you know it's it's how I'm gonna put my kids to college. <laughs> so I right, then I might change that then. Or use it a lot. Yeah, I use it a lot. Let's get a good college college education. <laughs> so when you're hitting the road, 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 wrap your wheels in some continental gravel goodness. Thank you, Shadi, for that fantastic continental ad. And as always, thanks to Conti for sponsoring the podcast. Side note, rode a set of GP4 seasons for the first time in 28 yesterday forgot how good that tire is it's a really good tire and it's sort of of the older generation of conti tires where they blew up really big so it's, it says 28 and it on my rims measures closer to a 30 and it's just a it's really it's really quite excellent anyway let's get on with the episode dane where do we want to kick off with the giro i think maybe we can do a bit of reverse chronology here maybe we can start with what happened today because people are going to want to hear about what happened today particularly since they couldn't really watch it on television and then we can kind of move backwards into some of the other themes that we've got going all right cool in that case we're going to talk about the gc picture first so exactly the, the stage uh, on monday that that's the today that we're talking about when we're recording this who knows when you're listening to it uh 
dearest listeners. But Monday's stage was supposed to be a really, really brutal day in the mountains. Uh, it ended up still being a pretty hard day in the mountains. But due to some weather conditions up in the Dolomites, uh, they ended up making some changes to the route. Originally, the stage is going to uh, ascend the Paso Fedaya and the Paso Pordoi before going up the Paso Giao. And they ended up cutting those first two climbs out due to snow and other inclement weather way up way up there. Uh, but they still went up the Paso Giao, which was really a really hard climb. Uh, so the stage was shortened, but it was still quite a tough day and a day that was going to have GC implications you know, no matter what. And Egon Bernal helped ensure that it did have GC implications. He's as, as far ahead as he already kind of was in that GC battle. He once again fired off the front with about uh, uh, roughly 5K to go in a 10-kilometer climb. The Paso Giao, by the way, 9.3% average gradient for that for that entire length. Uh, and he went off the front and uh, caught up everybody else who was still in the breakaway, kept going, went up and over by himself, went down the descent and uh, arrived at the finish with a hefty gap to extend his lead and take his second career Grand Tour stage win. Uh, so after today, Egon Bernal, as if he wasn't already the clear uh, favorite to take a win and, and a pretty convincing win in this race. Now he has a two minute and 24 second gap to runner up Damiano Caruso. So a lot of things today, first of all, Egon Bernal not taking his foot off the accelerator. And I, I love that he has not ridden conservatively in this race. He has attacked at every opportunity. This is again, his second stage one so far in the race. Uh, he just keeps piling it on. I think this is great. And he's, Made it entertaining so far. I'm, I'm a little nervous that now that he's got a two minute, you know, plus gap, things will kind of calm down a little bit in this final week. But pretty clear, Egon Bernal is the untouchable leader in this race. I mean, assuming he doesn't crash, I, I can't really see anything stopping him from winning. Uh, that said, we have an interesting battle for second, Damiano Caruso, who we talked about wait, last wait, week. Wait, 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 wait. We need to talk about how baller it was that Bernal bothered to take his rain jacket off coming into the finish today. Like, took like so so not worried about a couple seconds that he sat up, took his whole rain jacket off, balled it up. It was a big rain jacket because it was cold and terrible today, and then just sort of like stuffed it into the back of his jersey so you couldn't see it in the finish line photos. So you could see the pink jersey, you know, the Ineos Grenadiers logo, no raincoat. I just absolute baller move. I really appreciated that. Very very pro. Yep. And he didn't fall over while trying to take his jacket off, which is more than can be said for a lot of Giro riders. It's <laughs> really uh, slightly cobbled finish, and he just didn't care. I mean, it was it was clearly the most important thing was getting a good finish line photo, and there were some great finish line photos of him in pink. So Bernal, very there media were. savvy guy. It, it was an important it was an important moment for him. I think that like it really he kind of with uh, he's already won a stage, right? But t- today he put kind of his stamp on the race and kind of. Uh, I think a little bit put his team on notice that he really is back, that he's got this, you know, these back problems hopefully are now behind him. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) Dad jokes. Uh, (laughs) Hey, you'll be doing more with him now. Now you're proper dad. I've got a whole list on the wall behind my laptop here, so we can just pull them out as we go through that throughout the, the episode. No, back problems are behind him. And, you know, in his post-race interview, he was he was pretty clear about the fact that this is like like he needed to show people what he could do. Uh, And I think that he's probably I think he's probably a little bit salty about, you know, getting given the Giro when uh, when Garrett Thomas was given the Tour de France, whatever they may say in public, you know, a top a top GC racer, somebody who's won the tour previously does not usually want to go and and get stuck into a different grand tour, particularly the Giro, particularly this year, because the Giro and the Tour de France are exceptionally close together and, and running the double this year will be, <clears throat> will be even harder than usual because the Tour de France starts early with the Olympics. Uh, I think it starts the 26th of June. And so it's going to be a tight gap between the Giro and the Tour this year. And, and the sort of the doing of the double is, is going to be basically impossible. I think so I think he needed to kind of show everybody that, you know, he's still there. He's still he's still Egan Bernal. He still probably should be at the Tour de France and fighting out with uh, in the Slovenian national championships that the Tour de France will be this year. He needs to be there to maybe break that up a little bit. He also never really got the opportunity to take that emphatic high mountain 
stage win, uh, you know, stamp his authority on the race in the Tour de France that he won, because of course he took the lead on that day where they, you know, kind of halted the race on the, uh, on the Col d'Isran and, and he just ended up in the yellow Jersey the next day. There was no moment at which he crossed the finish line and was able to celebrate taking over the race lead in that, in that race. And of course he came into this year without ever having even won a stage at a grand tour. So I think this year is an opportunity for him to, to get some personal goals out of the way too. I mean, if, if you're a guy at all, you probably really want to have these, these kind of emphatic emotional moments on the mountaintops and, and show that you're the, the leader and the, the clear strongest rider in the race, even just for yourself, let alone to prove it to your team. And he has had that opportunity at this race. And, and I think he's really probably been pretty glad to take it. Yeah. And, and when I'm watching it, I think he, he really is riding. It looks like he's got a, a point to prove, you know, and that's, I think taking off the drain jacket today is nice for the photos and that, but I think it's also a sort of, again, a stamp of authority. Look at me, I'm in the leader's jersey and I'm dominating this race. Like he has literally not been on the back foot on any one of the single 16 stages we've had so far. He's been, you know, he's proved now he's two and a half minutes basically clear of second place. He's head and shoulders above uh, everybody else in, in the race. And I think that is is really really showing this, this year with his performances and his and his willingness to go on the attack when he, when he really doesn't need to you know he, today he he already has a commanding lead but you know he, he is we're sitting here now on the eve of the second rest day and it feels like the race is in the second last day not not the the start of the last week and, and i think it's just been because he has been so dominant so far yeah, it just feels like it, barring catastrophe, barring a crash or or really poorly timed puncture or something like that, it it just just feels like he's so much stronger than everybody else. And you know, I do think that that I think fundamentally, sort of strategically, the way that Ineos set set out their Grand Tour teams was was in error this year because uh, I just don't see Garrett Thomas beating either of the Slovenians. I don't see him beating Roglic or. Pogacar. I just don't I don't see it happening. Uh, and I think that the only the team's only real shot at doing that was probably with Egan Brawl. Granted, it was a bit of a punt because they didn't they didn't really know whether he was over the back issues. They didn't really know how strong he was coming into this Giro. But for me, I think that will be seen as as an issue for go, going forward this year, because I don't think they'll win the tour. I think Egan Brawl will win this Giro. I think they will not win the Tour de France and they will probably come back and like Egan will win the Vuelta or something like that. I agree, yeah, Kelly. And I think the really any else only tactic if they wanted to win the tour this year, which they have said numerous times down through the year is the most important race down through the years is the most important race of the year, was to have both Thomas and Bernal at the tour uh, and applying this new tactic that we've heard Brailsford say so many times he was he was gonna bring to the team this year. And I think that was their way to beat the two Slovenians who who seem to be uh, on another level in, in the races we've seen so far. I mean, maybe Bernal can turn it around. Right? Like I said, there's a short gap between the Giro and the Tour this year, but maybe he can make it happen. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest uh, if he still, you know, is at the Tour and riding decently well there. Um, but yeah, it just feels like a bit of a bit of a strategic error. And I think that Bernal, with his show today, was basically saying that to his team. That that was the sense that I got. I do think he'll go to the Tour. I mean. Still a little time to figure that out, but I, I would not be surprised if he not only went to the tour, but you know, had some kind of co-leadership there along with, you know, four other riders because they have four grand tour winners on that team, uh, all of whom could, you know, reasonably say, Hey, I deserve grand tour leadership. Uh, so I, I think he'll be there. And, you know, recall, I think it was, I guess it was three years ago now, Chris Froome ended up finishing third at the tour. And one of the riders he finished behind was a teammate, uh, after winning the Giro d'Italia. So it, it seems, I think in, in today's day and age of cycling, it's, Probably not possible to win both, but with a shortened period of time in between the two, uh, that could help. Um, and, and I think it's something that they're probably thinking, well, he's certainly going to give us an added chance to win. So I would definitely take Bernal if I'm Ineos. No, these teams obviously got previous form on showing who, showing people with form that can last throughout the season. Just go back to when Wiggins, uh, whatever year it was, he won the Tour de France. He won Paris-Nice at the start of the season, went through to win the Tour and then continued well into latter end of the season, doing really well as well. So we, I, don't, I wouldn't put it past Bernal to be going into the Tour as a co-leader, if not a little bit above Garrett Thomas, because 2018 is a long time ago in the world of cycling when Garrett Thomas won. And... 
if it was if it was me, I'd be putting my money on Burnley for for a toe win over Garrett Thomas. A hundred percent. Yeah. I I don't think I don't think any us like I said I don't I don't see Garrett Thomas beating Roglic and Pogacar. I just I just don't see it happening. Particularly Pogacar. Uh, you know Thomas and Roglic are, feel like more similar type of riders. Um, but I think both of them are going to struggle to keep up with Pogacar on, on the climbs of the Tour de France this year. Anyway, it feels like we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I did want to bring up sort of the, the, the implications of today's finish and, and how I see it sort of impacting the rest of the year, potentially. But, Dane, I interrupted you. Damiano Caruso, still sitting in second place. Wh- wh- what's going on here? It's crazy. I don't, Good for I don't know what to expect from him in this final week because... It's not as if he's uh, it's not as if he's done this kind of riding behind a bunch of guys and and uh, been the kind of anonymous rider that I think we kind of expected him to be. I mean, he was up there today, right? Not that far behind Aegon Bernal, and he finished third on the day behind uh, Roman Bardet, and and he's clearly been one of the strongest riders in this race. I don't think we can I don't think we can take that away from him. Uh, and at this point, going into the final week, he's never really battled for a podium position into the final week of a grand tour. He's been in top tens of grand tours several times so far, but uh, if you're borrowing victorious, I think you got to be pretty pleased that you have a rider prime to finish on the podium. Currently sitting second overall after Mikel Landa left the race. And, and this is, uh, this is pretty remarkable. I think that the team might end up with a rider finishing higher than they would have had if Mikel Landa had not left the race, uh, which probably feels bad if you're Mikel Landa. It probably feels good if you're Bahrain victorious. <laughs> so what do you think? Bahrain second place? Bahrain third place? Bahrain fourth place? I'm, Where's I'm, Bahrain end up? I'm thinking it's more like third or fourth. I, I do think in the final week we're going to see... I, Roman Bardet has been here before, and uh, you know he he was better than, than uh, Caruso today. We've got... Hugh Carthy's kind of up there. Simon Yates had a rough day. We'll get to that in a second. But there's there's a lot of riders who I think are, you know, could finish ahead of Caruso. And I don't know that he's going to be able to hold on all the way through the final week because uh, there's some tough climbs. And we just haven't seen it from him so far in his career that he's really hung up there with the podium guys. I don't know. Now, today was due to be the, the Queen stage, albeit it ended up with two of the big uh, mountains taken out of it. But, you know, he's got through this far. He is... If we look at Bardet, he's close to three minutes up on Bardet and he finished with Bardet today. And not only has he moved up to second place in GC, but he's also now, rather than being like 20, 30 seconds ahead of Hugh Carthy, who's in third now, he's actually, what, a minute and a half nearly ahead of him. So he's, he's, in, he's in a strong position uh, and, 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 and looking good. And none of those guys are going to take significant time on him in a time trial. So it's not like he has to worry about the final time trial, right? I mean... Hugh Carthy is going to catch nobody in the time trial. <laughs> no offense to Hugh Carthy, you are not particularly aerodynamic. Uh, Hugh went all right in the Vuelta time trial last year, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's clearly got the watts. He's just, he's not particularly aerodynamic. He doesn't, it's the, the wrong body type for aerodynamics. <laughs> Poor Hugh. We've, we've, yeah, and then talk about the time trial. We've got to ask ourselves, has he learned his lessons from years past when he said, I don't really go out training on my time trial bike. I don't like it. So you've got what you've got to ask himself with going to a new team, has he put the work in? Because this could be a point in a race where that time trialing matters. I don't think we haven't really seen the best time trialing from the, the DSM slash Sunweb, you know, GC guys, Jay Henley, not the best either at that, but, uh, at least I think his new team will have told him, hey, time trials are kind of important, man. Because uh, I don't think he was really <laughs> getting that at HE2R. I don't know that they were saying that to him very often. So hopefully somebody at DSM uh, you know, mentioned to Roman Bardet that he could, could stand to improve there. And, and probably has a bit more of a focus on the, on the technology and equipment, too. I mean, we talked about that in, in previous episodes, how, how very important that could be. Uh, you know, a 30K time trial, the difference between a... a uh, you know, a very efficient setup, good skin suit, good helmet, you know, wind tunnel testing, good position, all the rest of the things, all the little tiny details and ignoring all that stuff is probably, I don't know, like a minute or something like that. It, it's significant. So fingers crossed for him that Team DSM has done that homework. It was hard to do that homework over the winter because wind tunnel time was severely limited or impossible to get with the with the pandemic. But hopefully they've got somebody on staff that that can do that sort of stuff and yeah, that he's optimized. I think talking about 
the, the battle for second and third, which by the way, it's, it's kind of interesting that we're already talking about that. That's how far ahead Bernal is. There's still a grueling final week ahead, but it seems like to me, Simon Yates looked like he had kind of bounced back this weekend. Uh, when, when on the Montes Oncalan, he finished sixth, uh, not that far behind Bernal. And then today on stage 16, he just it didn't have it. And, and that, must be pretty crushing for him because it seemed like the a probably big morale booster coming out of his uncle on. And now on, on stage 16, he finished uh, two minutes, 37 seconds down on Bernal uh, back there in 11th behind Tobias Foss and a couple of other riders that you would have expected him to finish in front of. I, you know, I thought coming into this race, it was going to be Yates was going to be the second best guy here. And Bernal has definitely been the first best guy, but Yates has not really been the second best guy. And he's just kind of, down there in around Alexander Vlasov. And, and uh, I don't really know what to expect from Yates in this final week, but it's got to be depressing for him. Uh, another Giro where things just didn't really go the way he wanted so far. His, his form, yeah, it just seemed really kind of like highs and lows and very inconsistent. And that's very strange from a rider who has done a lot of Grand Tours. Has, you know, this is not his first rodeo. It maybe suggests that like he's not recovering well or something like that. Like he's, you know, he can go deep. He's clearly, you know, the form he showed in the Zunkelon was not a fluke. He still have to have that form. But then why is it that right afterward and right beforehand, he he can't do the same watts, right? It, it's a very strange, very strange thing from him at the moment. And and maybe something that the team needs to figure out with nutrition or recovery or something like that. Could also just suggest that he's human. Could be. Could be. Yeah. We, do, we don't really like humans at the top of the Grand Tour GC. We prefer robots. And so... Mermaids, psychopsies, that sort of stuff. <laughs> but no, I, I do wonder with him uh, being parted from his brother, if that's got any effect on him as well. Because we've never seen uh, brothers, who, like, like the Schlecks, for instance, uh, they've ne- they never parted weights. They never went to different teams. So you, you don't know what sort of effect that has on you. Everybody was like, oh, he's going to be able to race his own race now because not, they're not looking out for each other. But you do wonder if it does have a bit of um, a, an effect on you that other professionals in the peloton don't have who haven't got brothers they're racing alongside or against, which could happen later on in the season when they go up against one another. Hmm. It's just a strange situation. Yeah. I guess not that strange. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it should be more normal <laughs> that we see guys, you know, have a good day, have a bad day, have a good day, have a bad day. But uh, yeah, to me, it says that he's, you know, he's either not recovering well or he's just sort of closer to his limit on a lot of these stages than than we can really than we know, you know. Because one of the things that allows you to be super consistent is just to never truly go deep, deep, deep into the red, right? So Egan Bernal can be super consistent this this Giro because he's just stronger than everybody else he's climbing with. And so most of the time he's probably pretty comfortable. If Yates is just a little bit off, you know, that would sort of cause the, the more staccato kind of a uh, up and down nature of his apparent form in this Jira. And add in the weather as well. Could, could uh, yeah. further impact what you're just saying there, Kayla. Yeah. Yeah. Cause let's, let's not forget that the weather has been really bad this Jiro and some riders just really struggle in that. It's, it's, I mean, today was, horrendous it was like just over freezing and raining and just terrible yeah well one of the riders who definitely struggles today and i think he's someone that we need to talk about him and we've talked about him a lot over the past three weeks it was it was finally the day that remco evanapool didn't just have a bad day he you know he fully cracked uh there were a number of stages heading into this day into stage 16 where he struggled on a tough climb or on the gravel uh on the way to uh, uh montalcino but he managed to keep it together. You know, he, he would finish two minutes down, but not 20 minutes down. Uh, and, you know, heading into stage 16, he was still in the top 10 overall and looked like he was, you know, possibly en route to a possible top 10 finish if he could hold on. But, you know, the signs were there that things were starting to go bad. And finally, on stage 16, Evidapool had a really rough day. He finished uh, 58th, 24 minutes down, over 24 minutes down on Bernal. Uh, so not just cracking, but completely falling out of GC contention. Unclear whether he's even going to stay in the race, actually. Um, as, as we're recording this, I, I haven't seen anything to the contrary, but, uh, I, I think there's a possibility. I've seen some talk about there being a possibility that he leaves the race. Um, now that he's clearly not in it anymore. Meanwhile, his teammate, Joao Almeida, only a minute, 20, 21 down on Bernal today. So the tables have kind of turned within Dick and a quick step. Almeida looking strong again for a possible top 10 and Evanapool. Yeah. He had a nice first grand tour. He was up there on some tough stages, but it's yeah the end of the road for him as a GC contender so far in this race. 
two thoughts on that. One, maybe they actually should have left Eventipole on his own on the gravel stage and let Almeida ride up the road, which is what he was doing originally before he got called back. Because he, you know, he would have finished know, another minute or two up the road probably and, and would be a little bit further up in that in that GC battle. Two, I would wager that by the time people listen to this podcast, because it takes us a little bit of time to, you know, edit it and get it out. I would wager that by the time people listen to this podcast, Eventipol is no longer in the Giro. I think he's going to pull out. If not, if we don't hear about it tonight, I bet he pulls out during the rest day. Uh, you know, he's, he's nine months after a really nasty crash. And, and uh, you know, there's no question in my mind that he came to this race trying to ride for GC, trying to win the bike race. And I think that the team was behind him in that. But they also knew that something like this might happen, right? That he might just sort of collapse halfway through. They did, They just had no idea. And that turned out to be the case. So I think that he I think he probably pulls the plug. I think he probably disappears for a bit, uh, comes back, you know, at, at, at the Tour de France or at the Vuelta or something like that. His big goal is the Olympics where, you know, the time trials are a real possibility for him to take a, an Olympic gold medal. Uh, so I think if you're Remco Evenepoel and you, you know that you're probably not, well, you know, you're not going to win the Giro at this point, you've gotten your, you know, first grand tour in the legs. You've made it more than two thirds of the way through. It, it kind of makes sense to just kind of pull out and, and focus on a possible Olympic gold medal. Cause he really would be a favorite for that, uh, that discipline at the Olympics. So, uh, and let's not forget too, that he's really, really young. I mean, as, as young as egg and Bernal is, I mean, Bernal is what 24, I think. And Evenepoel is 21. I mean, he's a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm literally more than twice his age. <laughs> like in, in, in the U S he can just barely legally buy alcohol. <laughs> That's true. Like six months ago or something like that. He could just, just buy his first beer in the United States here. That's a funny way to think about it. Okay, guys, enough of the reality talking here. Do you think Remco's going to win the tour this year? <laughs> he's got his pizza shop to go back to and get so then he's got to go. <laughs> he's got to go and publicize pizza. That's what. That's why he's going to pull out the the zero. That's that's my thought. He's got commercials to make. Yeah, yeah. If if any of you missed that arc, that amazing article from from Ian, uh, what was it, a couple months ago maybe? Uh, you should just Google cycling tips, Rem- Remco Evenepoel and Pizza Hut. So it's amazing. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. It's a good one. Ronan, I think, you know, if you ask the Belgian press, they'd probably say yes. Yeah. I think if you uh, go back to our Giro preview podcast oh, a few weeks back, you know, we we did discuss the fact that he is coming back from such a, a serious injury. The fact that he is so young, the fact that it is his first Grand Tour and the fact that it was his first race this season. And, you know, we, we, although we all want to, you know, uh, believe the hype and are excited to see what Remco can do, I think, uh, you know, it, it's by no means a poor reflection of the young fella, as we say in Ireland, um, the, this Giro, like it's, 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 it's hardly, hardly surprising if I found such a tough day today to be so tough. Let's cut the kids some slack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know, you know, we know he's got the, we, he's got the ability, he's got the Watts, he's got the, you, you know, he could do it. It's the resiliency at this point. And that that is what often comes with age and with and with riding more than one Grand Tour uh, and with not having come back from a major injury nine months ago. So I do think that he's going to be you know, he's going to be a serious contender even later this year. Next year just didn't quite work out. Just just looking at his statistics, he did 23 days of racing last year and so far this year he's done 16. He's 20 years old. He's had nine months out. He's got pizza job to keep got keep busy with as well. <laughs> it's amazing what he's done so far. Like twenty year old with nine months out with so little racing, you you got to be impressed. This, but like yes, not the Tour de France is going to go for, but I'm putting him down for the Vuelta for sure. He's going to come back angry and ready to take show the world what he's uh, made of. I think there's a very good chance of that. I w- I would not bet against you, Shadi. Uh, on on that note of potentially Remco dropping out or or uh, the just the sheer number of other riders we've seen drop out, Lotto are now down to two riders left in the race, uh, and that's you know two out of eight. And, uh, that's a lovely Thomas, dinner. <laughs> Thomas Degent dropped out today with with a knee injury, and we I think it was last week we discussed uh, the the Merckx's opinions on uh, um, Caleb Ewan dropping out, um, but. You know, when I, when I think about it now, the Giro has just been so attritional and, and we've seen so many sprinters drop out, but there is nothing to keep the sprinters in the race in this in this final week. We've won super long, 
flattish stage uh, coming up in two days time I think but apart from that you know if we compare it to the Tour de France, the sprinters have always got the Champs Elysees to to contest on the final day, and that that will motivate them through the Alps or the Pyrenees. The, the Giro has included nothing this year for that type of rider in the in the final week. Yeah, the, the only thing really keeping them, I think, has been the points jersey, and, and Pierre Sagan is probably going to win that now because there's just no pure opportunities for the for the true, you know, non Peter Sagan types in this race to uh, to look forward to and. I feel like they kind of could have made it possible. I mean, you just change stage 18 to be flat on the finish and then you get more of your sprinters, I think, to stick around or at least try to stick around. Uh, and then we always, you know, it's always entertaining them watch, watching them try to not lose more time than the time cut in the high mountains. That's a fun race in, within a race in and of itself. And we don't really get that this year because so many of the pure speedsters left the race. Uh, yeah, definitely kind of bummed about that. Yeah, it just feels very Giro to me. Like they're, they're sort of, they've been making the stages, the, particularly the end of stages, sort of you know bumpier and more chaotic. This sort of traditional sprint stage has been on the decline at the Giro for quite some time, uh, partly because they often finish in towns. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to an Italian town, but there's not a whole lot of straight flat roads in most Italian towns. So <laughs> sort of difficulties with just the geography, but. Still, they could, you know, they could build more sprint stages. There's no question. And yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame, but at the same time, it makes for some pretty interesting finishes. It just, it just, you know, comes back to like, okay, well, Peter Sagan wins the, wins the sprint category anytime he wants to, because he's the only sprinter that can climb at all. And it's just sort of like a, a guaranteed thing every year uh, or something so, or somebody like him. Right. Yeah. I, I go back and forth. Too many sprint stages makes for a pretty boring grand tour. And you do want to give something to the sprinters, but at the same time, yeah, sprint stages are sprint, sta- sprint stages are the ones where we just sit around watching Here, on TV, being like, "Oh my god, like what?" Here's an idea. Five hours of this, like what? <laughs> They're not doing anything. <laughs> here's an idea. Why don't they move the thirty-kilometer time trial to the Saturday and have a sprint finish on the Sunday? It's a tried and tested formula that works fairly well. Keeps the sprinters that'll, motivated. That, 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 that'll never work, Ronan. I, I can't imagine what you're. I can't even imagine that. It'll well, never and like work. a cool a cool finish circuit in Milan would be awesome, right? I mean, like the, if you're talking about something that's good for spectators, which maybe isn't as important in a pandemic year, but there there have been a lot of spectators on the side of the road at the Giro. That's a super cool way to finish it. I mean, that's the cool thing about the shops, right? Is you, you, you're standing on the side of this road with a bajillion people. They go by many, many times. They go basically go by for like 90 minutes. And, you know, you get to watch a bit of bike racing. You get to see how fast they go. And, and it's a cool experience. And so I, I like the idea of sort of the finish circuit uh, final sprint stage thing. And agreed, they should, they should incorporate that into more Grand Tours where possible. Yeah. I, we can move on now that we've talked about the sprinters a little bit to some of the other stage hunters and, and just the fact that, uh, first of all, there have been, I think, as of recording this podcast, I think I've counted this right, 11 first-time stage winners, I believe. The, the, the 11 stages have gone to first-time winners, at least, uh, so far in this race, which is, uh, it's remarkable. It, it's awesome. It's really cool seeing guys get their first win. And it's pretty, one, it's indicative of, of uh, just how unpredictable this race has been. Uh, two, I think it's a little bit indicative of the field. If you know, if Sam Bennett is here, I think fewer riders get their first sprint win. And if there are, if you know, Roglic and Pogacar are here, fewer riders are getting their first win in the mountains. But still, very cool to see, and, and makes for an entertaining race when you get guys getting their first win and, and the emotion of that first victory. Uh, three of those went to riders from Quebec Assos uh, in, in a span of what five days, uh, and that was really great to see. Uh, we could talk each one was great to see for, for its own reasons that, that just generally speaking though, getting, you know, Quebec asked was getting three stage wins at a, at a Giro as a pretty big evolution for this team, which spent years at the bottom of the world tour rankings. And it's not like they're still not there. They kind of are, but it's been a big step up. It definitely turned it around in terms of acquiring talent and, and turning that talent into big results. And we've seen, a real shift. I think once, once Cavendish left his team, you know, they, they were able to kind of focus on some other things. I think that did free up some budget probably. Uh, it's, you know, it's nice to see Cavendish succeeding elsewhere, but they were probably able to spend that money on some other things. And it's, yeah, it's starting to turn into results and they really have to be happy with that because it was a long slog for them. Difficult to find sponsors. Now they've got sponsors and they've got wins. It's one of those things where like wins beget wins, right? Where they've had a, they had a good sort of, 
early season. Now they're coming in and having a fantastic Giro. Confidence within a team and confidence from you know directors to be able to send riders out into breakaways and, and let's just let's just give it a go everywhere we possibly can. That 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 sort of attitude is really good for then you know sneaking stage wins here and there. Uh, and they've just been really 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 good at it this season. Again, super impressive given the sort of financial woes and just sort of team sponsor woes that they were going through and lost a lot of riders and had to go and rehire, uh, frankly, like a bunch of riders who weren't able to find jobs elsewhere who came in with, you know, maybe a bit of chip on, chips on their shoulders and, and wanted, had something to prove and they, yeah, they proved it. I mean, they're, they're probably the most successful team at this, at this Giro so far. Uh, I would say that maybe, I mean, Hard to argue against like any else with the pink jersey, but for me, sort of you know punching above their weight, I, I'd say that they're they've had the best Giro of any team relative to what we were expecting from them. Basically, I, I reckon this is a perfect opportunity for the team to be picking up sponsors, and well, they'll know that themselves. Like this is it's the showcase; they're going to be getting sponsors because funding wise, I'm guessing that team somewhere on between seven and ten million. When you compare it to something like Ineos, who are on forty-five million euros, it's pittance. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if wins like this is going to get them a sponsor for the Tour de France. Because let's be honest, Asos, as big as a company they are within the cycling world, aren't going to be able to put in seven, ten million by themselves. Even with all the other sponsors that they've got on board, BMC, Hunt, Quebec don't put anything in because that's a charity, obviously. So I wouldn't be surprised if all this early season winning, all this early season good form is because they needed a sponsor for the middle of the year. Like, yeah, they had walls at the end of the season. To find a sponsor to get you through to the end of the year is a big ask. To get to get your sponsor to the Tour de France is, I would, what, I would have thought, what they would have been going for. And that's why they're get, trying to get all these wins, getting good results. And they're going to get a sponsor that's going to take them through, not just after the Tour de France, but into next year as well. Yeah, I wonder if we see some additional sponsors come on ahead of the tour. Uh, it'd be worth a worth a call to Doug Ryder, perhaps. We haven't talked to him in quite a while. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll try to ring up Doug and get him on the podcast. We could do that. I'm hoping his phone's going to be busy with people going. Wait, can we have our name on the jersey? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's one of those teams that's easy to get behind, right? They've always had a personality. They they you know they they ride for a, a a higher purpose, and I think that yeah, I don't think anybody any nobody's bummed about Becca Asos winning bike races. I think it, and just the opposite. One of those statements in particular for Giacomo Nazzolo, it had been. Uh, Quite a long journey for him to get that first stage win. Uh, I went back and counted. He had ridden 139 Giro d'Italia stages up until that one. And uh, even as of six years ago, people were already asking him about getting that first win. And that, that's that's how long he's been up here in that conversation of potential Giro stage winner. You know, he'd already racked up seven or so, eight or so Giro second place finishes as of five years ago. And then he just waited, you know, and waited and waited and waited. And finally, you know, a week ago, not even, he uh, finally went and won a stage. And he did it in really impressive fashion. And you could see, just talking about how popular this, this team is and, you, and, and how easy they are to root for, it was like everybody in that town wanted him to win, including in the Peloton. Uh, you know, riders from the Peloton just kept coming by and were congratulating him after, you know, spending basically eight years trying to make this happen. Actually, 10 years, like eight jury and maybe 10 or 11 years total. Uh, trying to make this happen and finally pulling it off. It was something that everybody could get behind because it's, it's hard not to root for somebody like that who has tried and failed and tried and failed. And then finally, after all this time, I mean, he won two points jerseys without ever having won a stage. Uh, so great to see that and definitely easy to get behind. This is a total side note, but uh, the points jersey to me in every Grand Tour is broken. I feel like we can talk about this maybe in, a, in an episode after the Giro finishes off. As like a broader topic of how do you fix point jerseys? Because like nobody cares anymore <laughs> because they're just they just don't work. Like the best sprinter in the bike race almost never wins it. And for me, that just that just seems a bit backwards. But anyway, we don't need to go down that tangent tangent at the moment. Before we wrap up the Giro discussion, who's coming in second? Egan Bernal gonna win, right? We're all putting our money on that. We're could be 
embarrassed next week, but we're going to put our money on that. Who looks good for second for you right now? Alexander Vlasov is my current provisional runner-up pick. I think he has a good enough time trial to pick up some time. He didn't look great today, but he looked okay, and, and he's looked consistent throughout the race. And I think most of these other guys, you know, Bardet, Yates, Caruso, they're going to lose time in that TT. Dottie? I'm going to go with what my heart pick was at the start of the race. And Hugh Carthy, he, he did good today. Though he didn't look – he looked good pedaling, but he didn't look good on the bike. He looked like he was – studying for a really difficult exam. His glasses were all wonky. His mouth was open as if he didn't <laughs> understand things. But he looked he looked good on the bike, if you know what I mean. And I'd, I'd love to see him get second. Um, plus, he said that this, before today's stage that this was going to be the stage where he could win the Giro. If you're saying, I can win the Giro, then you, you've got a good head on your shoulder. You're, you're confident. So, yeah, I'm going to go... He's going to come in second. And I've just looked it up. I didn't realise he's only 26. He looks a lot older, doesn't he? Yeah. That's as northern as the hard weather we, we grew up in. Hard times up there. Hard times up there. Ronan, who do you got? I'm going to go for Caruso and Hugh Carthy on the on the podium. I think them two looked, uh, looked pretty good today. I know Caruso finished slightly further up and, and uh, but just Carthy in general today put the team on the front obviously feeling confident I think had it been the full stage it would have been a lot better uh, and then with the time that Caruso has uh, now over fourth place Vlasov I think he's going to be safe there he's, he's got a decent enough time trial to keep him at bay so uh, the, the, I know you asked for second but that's my second and third <laughs> that's fine you're allowed to do that I'm putting Roman Bardet up there because uh, with Thibaut Pino gone uh, the real light of my eye deep in my heart pick Roman Bardet is like the sort of next best random Frenchman <laughs> great French hope I think but honestly he's I think he could actually I think he can get into third I don't think he can get into second I think he can get into third he does have more Grand Tour experience than a number of the riders in front of him uh, he, you know, he's just had more Grand Tour success than Ducarthy and Caruso and Vlasov uh, I think that he still can ride well into this final week continue to chip away some time he looked really good today and he seems like he's coming into form so i think he's probably in third and then second place i'm gonna leave hugh carthy up there again i don't think either of these things are going to actually happen but this is what i want to happen i want hugh carthy to come in second and roman Bardet to come in third that would make me happy that's enough bike racing i think it's time for some nerd nuggets but before we do this episode is also supported by castelli the perfect cycling short should be comfortable. And for Castelli, that means you shouldn't notice it at all. This was the guiding principle behind the Premio Black bib short. Castelli reduced the number of panels, seams, and inserts to a minimum by incorporating these components into a single engineered fabric that supports the body like a second skin. The three panels that make up the short replace up to 10 components in traditional shorts. The engineered stretch woven fabric is smooth for aerodynamics and body mapped to the needs of each part of the body. The lower leg has a raw cut leg ending and rubberized yarns for a flat grip to keep the leg in place. In the thighs, the fabric is lighter for breathability, yet compressive for just the right amount of muscle support. Bib straps are a study in minimalist comfort while achieving the sole goal of keeping your shorts in place. That is important with bib straps. With the Castelli Premio Black Bibs, less is more. Thank you to Castelli for supporting this episode. I like to add side notes at the end of our ads. Uh, I have a pair of these, and they're very good. <laughs> they're super comfortable. And the, the material is really wild. They're talking about that engineered stretch. Like It feels like just one piece of material, but you can tell that it's different in different areas. There's just no seam in between... The differences right so you're sort of like stretchier here and thinner here but there's no seam in between those two bits of material it's just sort of all one piece it's 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 pretty wild it is it's kind of, i guess it's kind of an evolution of the like the first generation body paint stuff that they did way back when i mean i i certainly remember when when shorts back in the day like it was a it was a big deal for them to be like oh eight panel ten panel like and like the more panels you had, the better, because that's how short manufacturers were able to get you a better fit. But now they can do it with fewer panels and just by tweaking the material, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Cool technology. 
Anyway, I like them. I think Ronan, I think you're reviewing them for tomorrow. He's wearing them right now, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say I'd like to thank you for taking bringing up these shorts because that reminds me I am sitting here in these shorts right now at this moment. <laughs> Have you been sitting in them since you asked me about sure. them this morning though? Because I went out in them this morning as well. I'm I'm trying to get into it's like an actor trying to get into character. I'm getting into the shorts to write the review. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talk. So by the time so this episode, talk about Castelli. I have noticed today that the the Coinit Quickstep team are not using sponsor correct product. They're sponsored by the Mark and Ed Castelli rain jackets on today. Interesting. Yeah, the rain always does that. The rain always does that. I remember. I remember. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave the rider unnamed, but a rider threatened to stab me. I think as a joke, but who knows? Threatened to stab me because I had taken a photo of his not sponsor correct uh, rain gloves and he got an earful from said sponsor. And I got a text that said, don't do that again. I'll stab you. <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> that's that's quite direct. I won't. I won't do it again. <laughs> I don't really want to. With this particular router, I didn't really want to take the risk. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to today's nerd nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Pretty succinct one today, I think, James. Describe what we are, well, what you saw. We have been talking an awful lot about tires and wheels and stuff at the Giro and I guess on this podcast in general recently. So I've been paying a lot of attention to it, uh, even though I'm not at the race, of course. Uh, and one of the things I noticed this morning, or actually last night, I guess, was that uh, at least one of the Yumbo Visma riders has been riding uh, some unbranded wheels that I don't know what they are exactly. So Yumbo Visma, just to be clear, their women's and development team are officially sponsored by Reserve Wheels. And Reserve was, uh, I guess, sort of like a wheel spinoff of Santa Cruz, sort of like how Roval is a wheel spinoff of Specialized and Bontrager of Shrek, that sort of thing. That's separate, um, separate. It's totally separate. Totally separate. 100% yeah. separate. No, no association whatsoever. Except um, for the fact that they show up in a box that says Specialized on them in Roval's case. <laughs> we hear about this. Sorry, we've harped on this before. But like, yeah, PR people and marketing people are always yelling at us for saying that Roval is a Specialized wheel brand or Bontrager is a Shrek wheel brand. You just are. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you want to tell us. So Reserve is is basically a Santa Cruz wheel brand. Sorry, so, Santa Cruz. Anyway, moving on. The the Yumbo Visma men's team, however, they have uh, they're sponsored by Shimano for wheels, and they have typically been using Shimano wheels in races, unlike Ineos, for example. And uh, I noticed yesterday that, uh, yeah, Ineos. Uh, I noticed yesterday that yeah, Yumbo Visma is on some unbranded carbon wheels. Uh, fairly shallow section, maybe like 40 millimeters-ish or so, tubular, uh, running two-to-one spoke lacing. And that's about all I can tell because there's no badging on it whatsoever. My guess, however, I think we we all are expecting some new Shimano stuff to drop later this season. Uh, and anytime Shimano drops a new Dura-Ace group set, they always have matching wheels, and these might be them. Hmm. So we're putting a, a call out to anybody who is in Italy and might be going to the Giro. Take a picture of these for us and send it to us. Yeah, would, would someone mind going to the Yumbo Visma team hotel and taking <laughs> a bunch of very, very detailed photos of the hubs specifically for me? If you wouldn't mind doing that, that'd be great. That'd be great. Front and rear. Yep. Uh, that'd be fantastic. You can send those into editor at cyclingtips.com, email them to us, and you know, we'll give you some kudos if we, if we write a story about it or if James writes a story about it. Better still go back in time and take a photo before the decals are removed that would be that would be that would be even more insightful yes or or if a mole at shimano would like to just tell me straight up what these are that would be great that would be great but we do we we think we know what they are we're pretty sure we know what they are and we'll see well if these wheels are coming then we'll see sometime soon more shimano i mean we you know we know the we know the release timing uh for shimano and it well, basically, we're due. We're due for a road group coming up pretty soon. Well, I I may be off to the Dolphin A this weekend coming. It's only a, a short drive away from me, so I'll be getting the zoom lens out there for you, James. Don't you worry. 
Excellent. Make sure you bring the monopod too, so you can stay, so you can stay very, very far away and unobtrusive, so that no mechanics yell at you. I'm used to mechanics shouting at me. That's true. This is definitely one of those where they would try to stand in front of it or move things out of the way, and we'll get the fo- we'll get the photos. We're confident. Something you, something you just said, James, which was that uh, you know Ineos has not been running those Shimano wheels. That actually changed today. Interestingly enough, Edgar Bernal was running quite deep shimano wheels with his rim brakes today uh, this is sort of normally be a stage where you'd think that they would switch to the lightweights because well they're lighter they're lighter big mountains and we've seen them do that before now we've had this discussion previously as to whether that's actually a good idea or not uh because lightweights are not the most aerodynamic option and for the speeds these guys are riding the weight thing is maybe less important but anyway we don't need to go down that rabbit hole again Basically, they ride the lightweights because in the really key moments for, for you know, for Egg Bernal is probably going to be like 12 percent grade. And he wants the lightest possible wheel for that particular part of the course. Nonetheless, today he was running kind of deep Shimano wheels. And, and you know, we're kind of just discussing before we hit record about why this might be. I, my my guess here is that it's because the brake track is better on the Shimano wheels and it, they knew it was going to be bad weather, rainy, wet, and they wanted the the best brake track they could possibly get. And and knew that, you know, the finish today was going to be at the bottom of the hill. Uh, and so needed, well, needed, needed to be able to maintain or create a gap or something like that on a descent. Uh, so yeah, interesting today that they switched away from those lightweights. Just wanted to mention it. Well, I mean, if he wanted to create a gap on the descent, he should have just stayed on the lightweights because he wouldn't have been able to slow down. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Yes, yes. He also had an ass saver on. Wow, that probably kept him totally dry today. So I think think that's got to be the the second major win that uh, an an ass saver has been mounted on a bike for. The other one was uh, Nibali at the Milan San Remo a couple of years back. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw one of them. So for, for, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's like this is a little piece of plastic that basically sticks into your saddle rails and sticks out the back of your saddle. And the idea is it's like a tiny fender, right? It just keeps that, you it, know... It saves your ass. Yeah, it keeps that strip of brown from from accumulating right on the back of your shorts there. <laughs> Which, you know, if, if you're just going through like the occasional puddle or something like that, it, it works pretty well. Uh, if it's downpouring all day, probably less effective at keeping you dry. but I mean, hey, it, do, it, does, it does help. I mean, especially if you've got a good rain jacket on, it does help keep your chamois from getting like completely, completely saturated, at least for a while anyway. Um, so it helps. There you go. So a victory for the ass saver, a victory for wheels that let you stop. I think with that, it's probably time to wrap up for today. Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back either sometime this week with a special episode or next week for a Jiro wrap-up. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.